Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pam. Open your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4 this morning. If you've noticed in John's gospel, it's very plain to see he is writing to address and to correct errant teachings about Jesus and about the gospel that have made their way into the church. There are distorted teachings that have caught hold and have made their way into the church. And so he is writing to set the record straight. We've said this a bunch of times. He is writing to tell us this is Jesus and this is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Now, if you've noticed, it is almost like we're part of a trial. And as he writes, he is introducing testimony to us. He introduces the testimony of Scripture. He introduces the testimony of witnesses of Jesus himself. Even his own testimony does he introduce. He is building the case. He is reinforcing the case. He is making the case. This is Jesus, and this is the gospel, the good news of our Savior. He wants us to be sure, and so very carefully, very deliberately, he is introducing the evidence. Well, in the middle of that effort and in the middle of that focus, there is an important question to answer. And here, here's the question. Does it matter how we see Jesus and who we understand him to be? Does it matter how we see Jesus and who we understand him to be? In a world today that just says, well, just say Jesus or, or just trust Jesus or you'll find answers if you'll turn to Jesus. Does it matter how we see Jesus, how, who we understand him to be? Now, actually, now that is a reoccurring question across John's gospel. Does it matter which Jesus we trust. Could it be any version of Jesus? Does it have to be the right Jesus? Today our message is entitled, Missing the Savior for the Signs. Missing the Savior for the Signs. Today we're going to wrap up John chapter 4. John chapter 4 today, verses 43 through 54. John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. Missing the Savior for the signs. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Beginning in verse 43, God's Word says this, after the two days, he went forth from there into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. For they themselves also went to the feast. Therefore he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he had heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. 
As he was going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. They said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This is again a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come today, we're, we're so thankful for you. We're so thankful that we have a Savior. We're so thankful for the hope that we have in Jesus. We come today and we, we're thankful for the day that we can come and assemble in freedom, that we can come and hear your word. I pray, Lord, that it would truly be a, a supernatural event. The potential is that you would speak to us through your word, that we would hear, we would hear your voice, we would know you better, that we would love you more deeply. Lord, I pray that that, that is the, the impact of this hour. I pray that the result of it is that you be known, that you would be received, and above all things, that you be glorified. We trust this to you. We thank you. We praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In December of 2019 in California, there was a little girl, a little two-year-old girl. Her name was Olive, and she unexpectedly died. Her parents were named Kaylee and Andrew Haugenthal. They were leading members of the Bethel Church, where Kaylee was a leading singer and a songwriter with Bethel Music. Now, the church and their music entity are not followers of biblical Christianity, but really they're followers of New Age spiritism, mysticism, and really borderline witchcraft. Well, when their daughter terribly, sadly died, they declared, they put out a statement declaring that she had stopped breathing and that she had been declared dead by doctors. Their decision was to claim in belief what Jesus had paid for, saying it's time for her to come to life. Now, these are their words. They're not mine. And they decided to claim her physical resurrection. You may have heard of that. You may not have. It was a nationally proclaimed movement. It, it grew, and it grew almost daily. Thousands of people, entire churches joined the effort, praying, seeking for this little girl's actual physical resurrection. On the first day, people prayed, people danced, people chanted, hoping for her resurrection. On the third day, the family put out a tweet. The family tweeted, the third day is a good day for a resurrection. We call you back to life. You will live. On day four, they tweeted, Keep declaring life over Olive. It is finished were Jesus' last words before he burst again to life. And so that day they declared it is finished over and over throughout the day. That was the declaration of the day. On day six, Bethel Music posted, Our hopes of resurrection have been abandoned. We are planning a funeral and memorial service. 
And then this multi-million dollar church and this multi-multi-million dollar music production company that had believed that they could secure somehow the resurrection of this little girl set up a GoFundMe account to pay for the funeral. And in all of that, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who had abandoned their hopes of resurrection were disappointed in Jesus. They were disappointed in Jesus. Listen to me this morning. If you have a false truth of Jesus, if you have a false expectation of Jesus, I don't care what it's based upon. If you have a false truth and a false expectation of Jesus, you will be disappointed in Jesus. That is the plan of Satan. That is the ploy of Satan. If you have a false truth of Jesus and somehow you've arrived at a false expectation of Jesus, you will sadly be disappointed in Jesus. I want you to know the good news today is our hope is in the truth. Our hope is in Jesus. And today our hope surely stands. All right, let's look at our verses this morning. John chapter 4, verse 43 says this. After the two days, remember they sought him to stay on there for two days. After the two days, he went forth from there into Galilee. Now, Jesus is in Sychar, the city in Samaria. Uh, They have believed in him in that city. Uh, They have received him in faith in this Samaritan city. Uh, We see in this verse, we see in this account that God's grace, God's good news is available to all people. And so here's this Samaritan city written off by the Jewish people, in fact, hated by the Jewish people, and they have received in faith the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, praise the Lord for that. Verse 44. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. After two days, he went forth from there into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Jesus was going to Galilee. That was his plan. If you remember, that was his plan all along. But he knows that in Galilee, they aren't believing him to be the Messiah. Now, probably it's because they would say, well, we know him. We knew his family. We know his brothers. We we saw him grow up. We know his family And so they were not believing. And where the Samaritans have believed in him, his own hometown, his own home people had not. But, now I want you to see this, he still went there. I think that's a big deal. He still goes there. He still still tries. There are some that would believe, and so he still goes there. He wasn't deterred. Listen to me. There's not some folks that he writes off. The gospel is still for all people. And so he knows the hardship. He knows what they're saying, but he goes anyway. He is not deterred. Verse 45. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. For they themselves also went to the feast. Now, see this. He goes to Galilee, and the the verse says, 
They received him. Now understand, it's, a, it's not the same word. It's not the same idea that they received him in faith as the Samaritans had done, that they received him in belief like they did in, in Sychar. No, here it means they welcomed him. Where there they received him in faith, here in his hometown, in his home region, they welcomed him. He comes back to Galilee and they are glad. They welcome him back. Now, the Bible tells us the reason why. The Bible says, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast. Now, remember the account. He goes to Jerusalem. He does many signs and wonders while in Jerusalem. Well, evidently, these folks were there. Evidently, they saw the miracles, and they were astounded. So when he comes home, they're ready to see him. They're glad to see him. Now, I want you to notice this. They did not welcome him home as the Savior. They did not welcome him home as the Messiah. They didn't welcome him home as the Son of God. And if there were ever a people that should have, if there would have ever been a people that would have said, yes, we saw the miracles, we heard what he claimed, and we believe in him. No, they received him home as a miracle worker. They received him home as some kind of sideshow, some kind of magician that would come and do tricks. And in their fascination, in their curiosity, they're glad that he's back. Verse 45. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. For they themselves also went to the feast. Now moving to verse 46. Therefore, he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. He comes to Galilee. They saw him in Jerusalem. He now comes to the city, the town of Cana in Galilee. Remember, it was eight miles from Nazareth. And it was there in this city where they saw him turn the water into wine. If they didn't see it, they heard about it. It was a tremendous miracle. Well, again, if there was ever a place to believe in Christ, if there were ever a people to say, we heard about what happened in Jerusalem, we saw what happened here in Cana, we hear his claims, if there were ever a people to trust in Christ, it would have been these people. The Bible goes on and says there was a royal official there, most likely, he was an officer in the court of Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas, he was the ruler of Galilee under the Roman rule. Well, evidently this man works for him. He works in his court. The Bible says he came from Capernaum, which is about 18 or 20 miles away from Cana. His son was gravely sick when he gets there. Verse 47. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now, you can understand this. This man is frantic. His son, the son that he surely loves, is about to die. Uh, he had evidently run out of options. It is serious. And he has heard of this miracle worker. He has heard of this one, Jesus, and he thinks, I'll go get him. Maybe uh, he can save him. And it is his, his last hope. And so the Bible says he is imploring him. 
Imploring is in the continual tense. And so it means that he is begging him repeatedly. He is saying, come down. Listen, come down and heal my son. It is dire. He will die without you. Come down. I have no other hope. Come down and heal my son. He is imploring him. Verse 48. So Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. Jesus responds here, unless you, the you is plural in the original language, and so people is added. Unless you people, and so evidently he's talking to the man, he is addressing the man, but also the Galileans that were around him, those that were in in the hearing there in Canaan that day. He says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Remember the question, does it matter how we see Jesus and who we understand him to be? Well, Jesus shows us they are coming to see him to see something exciting. They're coming to see if he could top the last thing that he did. They heard that great thing. Maybe he'll do something greater in our presence today. They are coming to see him because he is a miracle worker. They are coming, some of them like this man, to see if he is truly a healer. And the thing is, he is the Savior. He is the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. He is the one and the only one that can set them right with God and give them eternal life because he is the one, the only one, who is the remedy for their sin problem. And so listen, yes, Jesus can do all of those things, but the point is you should receive Jesus as the Savior. The hope that we have in Jesus is that he will forgive our sins, remedy our sin problem. He is our Savior. That's why he came. I think back to Sychar, the Samaritan town, and he does a great miracle there. He tells the lady things that he couldn't have known. But notice in that account, they didn't say, well, tell us more things about the past. They didn't come out and say, well, that's pretty impressive. Let's let's see how your street continues. Tell us more things that we have no way to know. And so they don't do that. They come and they see the sign and they profess him, verse 42, as the Savior of the world. These folks don't do that. Let's see another sign. We heard about this. Let's see another sign. We were there with you. Let's see another sign. Verse 49. The royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Now, his issue hasn't changed. His issue is still the same issue. His son is dying. And so he hears what Jesus says. And he says, Still, sir, come down before my child dies. We're about to run out of time. Come down before he dies. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. In verse 50, we see that Jesus is gracious anyway. He knows the man's hurt. He knows the man's heart. He knows the man's fear. He's not hard to all that. He knows, he knows that man doesn't understand who he is, but he sees the hurt of his heart and being who he is, being gracious. He is gracious anyway. And so he says to the man, go, your son lives. Now, I want you to think about that. He doesn't say, well, 
make your way home. He doesn't say, well, you're free to go. He says, go. It is done. Go. Your son lives. The Bible says the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. That's an amazing thing. He believed him. He doesn't say, well, are you sure about that? Maybe maybe you should come on anyway. Maybe this way we'll save some time if he's not. He doesn't say, what proof do you have of that? Can you do something to show me that? He believed him. He believed, and the Bible says he turns and starts home. Now, we see something here that's going to be a big thing. We see something here that is an important thing, and that is this. We see belief without sight. Belief without sight. He believes before he sees. That's what it says. He believes before he sees. Now, there's only one reason he would do this. Listen to this. It's because he trusts Jesus. He trusts Jesus. Well, can you come with me anyway? Well, can you give me a sign? Can you give me some way I'll be sure? Jesus says, go. He lives and he trusts Jesus and he turns to leave. Remember, Thomas, we're going to get there maybe in two months. and, and Thomas says, I need to see. I, I need to see. Unless I can see, I won't believe. In John chapter 20, verse 29, Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. This man believes without seeing. Verse 51. As he was now going down, his slaves met him saying that his son was living. This is a very awesome verse. As he was now going down, his slaves met him saying that his son was living. He he starts home. Uh, The boy lives. The boy is healed. And the news is so good that the slaves start out to find him. Now picture this, somewhere in the middle uh, between Cana and Capernaum, somewhere in the middle, the, the slaves are so excited that the boy's alive that they don't wait for him to come home. They launch off in a speedy fashion to meet him. The man has heard that his son is alive, and so he's rushing the same way to get home. And somewhere in the middle of, of nowhere, the slaves maybe start to see him, and maybe they start to wave their arms and shout, he's alive, there's good news, and he's running home to see that his son's alive. And there in this meeting, there's this grand news. Dad, your son is living. Your son is alive. Verse 52. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. When did he get better? Yesterday at the seventh hour. Verse 53, so the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives, and he himself believed in his whole household. It was the exact time that Jesus said, your son lives. And so 20 miles away, he said he lived, and 20 miles away, his fever broke, and he was better in 
that hour. Now the response is, it says that, and he himself believed, this time it's receiving Jesus in faith. It's not saying I receive you as somebody to come do something for me, but I'm receiving you in faith as the Savior, the remedy for sin, the good news of God. And it says not only that, his whole household Jesus is gracious, and Jesus, to this man that did not understand, confirms who he is, and this man knows now that he's more than a miracle worker. He knows he's the hope of sinners. He knows he is the Messiah of God, and he believes in his whole household. My favorite part of that is the cultural context. When it says his whole household believed, Listen, get this. It means even the slaves believed. And I, I read that and I think, well, how would they not? How would they not? They celebrated. They were the ones that brought the good news. They saw what had unfolded. And so even the slaves say, Jesus is our Savior. Praise the Lord. Verse 54. This is again a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Now, it wasn't his second miracle. He'd done many miracles. He did a whole bunch in Jerusalem. But it was the second miracle recorded in Galilee. The first one was when he turned the water into wine. Now, it is this account with the official's son. And so see, as we close out this chapter, today John shows us it matters how we See Jesus and who you believe Jesus to be matters. In fact, it is all that matters. We have to have the truth of Jesus. It is the truth of Jesus in which we are saved. The truth is Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is our Savior, the remedy, the only remedy for sin and for sinners that are ruined in their sin. He is the Lamb of God that takes away our sin. And in Him, and in Him alone, there is forgiveness and peace with God. In Him, there is redemption. He is our Savior. Does it matter how you see Him? Yes, Jesus is our Savior. I want to go back to the story we started with. A false truth of Jesus, a false expectation of Jesus, results in disappointment in Jesus. And I've seen it, and I've seen it, and maybe you've seen it as well, and somebody has a, a wrong understanding of Christ and a wrong perspective, a wrong picture of Christ, a false truth of Jesus and a false expectation of Jesus will result in disappointment with Jesus. They said, they actually said, our hopes of resurrection have been abandoned. How wrong and how sad. I hear that and I think, how sad, how sad. Our hopes of resurrection have been abandoned. I want to tell you today, I want to tell you on this 23rd day, the truth of Jesus is this. Our hopes of resurrection are not abandoned. 
They are settled in the empty grave of Calvary. Our hopes of victory in death are not abandoned. Listen to me. They are settled in the word of God. And there in his word, he says that death is not the victor. Listen, death is not the victor. He says death has been robbed, removed of its sting. He says that paid for and the cross and the resurrection of, of Christ is life and life that is full and life that is without end that is eternal. And it's not secured in some mystic declaration. It's not secured in some baseless proclamation. It is secured in Jesus. In him is life. Be sure today our hope has not been abandoned. It stands bigger and bolder and more beautiful than ever. It is in Jesus. It is in Jesus. In life and death and all matters in between, our hope is in Jesus the Savior of the world. You want good news today? Our hope stands. But what if it didn't turn out the way you wanted? Our hope stands. What if you got a a diagnosis? It's not what you wanted to hear. Our hope hasn't changed. It stands. What if you're guilty in your sin? Hope stands. What if you're not sure how we're going to get out of the mess we exist in today? The hope stands. The good news is today, here you sit, here you listen, and our hope stands. Our hope is in Jesus, the Savior of the world. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come, and I'm so thankful that you tell us, and then you retell us. You confirm And then you reconfirm, Lord, that you're gracious, that you're kind, just like this man. He misunderstood, but you're gracious. You wanted him to know, and so you go to great lengths that he would and we would know that the Savior is Jesus. Lord, I I pray today that we would embrace you as Savior, that we as sinful people that we have, that we would, we will embrace you as Savior. Those doomed in our sin, that we would embrace you as Savior. That is who you are. Shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. You are our Savior. Lord, I pray that you've been blessed in this message. Lord, I pray that you're pleased with it. And I pray now as we conclude this message that now it it rattles in our brains, it stirs in our hearts. And I pray for one and maybe many that do not have a settled peace, a hope that endures, that stands in the truth that is unshakable, Jesus. I pray that on this day and the hearing of this message, that today might be that day. Lord, help them. Lead them, direct them. Let this, let this message again stir in their heart. Let this be the day of their salvation. Lord, I pray for those of us here that have trusted you. I pray that we would put our eyes squarely on the truth, that we could continue to build the foundation of our truth. We would not be shaken. We would be ambassadors of this good news, telling a lost world of Jesus. Lord, in all of it, we pray that you're glorified. All glory be to Christ our King. You're worthy. You're due. We pray that you're glorified. We give you this time of invitation. We pray that you would move in it. Again, we pray that you're glorified through it. We trust it to you, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close our service with a time of response, a time of invitation. A time to respond to the truth of God's word. And here's the truth. God loves you. 
God sees us in our sin, you and your sin. He knows the consequence that we have in that sin, death. He sends his only begotten son. He comes, he lives a life. He never sins the perfect lamb that he might go in my place and your place. That's exactly what he does. He goes to the cross of Calvary and he pays for your sin. He takes your shame and my shame. He pays for it. He remedies it. He settles it. He pays for it, not in coins, not in gold, not in silver, but in his own blood that pours out on the cross. The cost of my sin, the cost of yours, he pays it. They put him in a grave. Three days later, with the debt settled, the debt paid, guess what? The victor over death stands up. The king of kings stands up, and he stands as the risen Lord. Death is defeated, his sting is removed. He stands, and in his grace, he offers forgiveness to us. If you'll trust him today, if you'll turn to him today, in grace, he will save you. It'll be settled today. Turn to him. Turn to him today. Claim him today. He will save you. He will save you. If you're here and you've trusted Christ, but you've never fought in believer's baptism, I want to give you an opportunity. It's not a small thing. It's not a tack on thing. It's a big thing to testify. This is what I believe of Jesus. And I want to, I want to show an obedience to what he says, what I believe of him and who I am in him. And you come and we'll set a, a day. It'll be a great day of celebration, testifying to who Jesus is. Maybe you're looking for a church home today and you prayed about it and you believe God's led you to Calvary Baptist Church. If you've prayed about it and you believe God's led you here, you come as well. And we'll stand and we'll serve his mission, his purpose. We'll stand on his word, proclaiming his gospel until he comes again, all of it for his glory. Maybe today on this day, you want to come and pray at an altar. Maybe you want to pray with me. Maybe you're going through something in your life and, and, and no answer seems to, no, to pay off. No wisdom seems to work out. God's wisdom will. God's answer will. Maybe you want to come and pray at an altar. Pray with me. I'm going to ask that no one would stir about or head for an exit. You pray for those that are making decisions. So we stand and sing. If God is speaking to you, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you here. You come on.